0: All right, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to start in Exodus 23. Starting in Exodus 23. Today, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about highs and lows. About valleys and mountains. Success and failure. You can say it all different ways. You can say it however you want to, but we all have these mountaintop moments in our lives, these moments of success, these moments of greatness, these these moments of time. And I'm talking physically and spiritually. Highs and lows. Um, Last week I was out of town and I had asked those of you that were here, you all know that Rebecca spoke last week. Um, And it was really good. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the, it's on podcast, or you can see it on Facebook or on the podcast, but go back and listen to it. She talked really fast. So on the podcast, there's this little thing where you can slow it down if you want to. Then you'll know what she would sound like, intoxicated. It's really fun to play with, but anyways, she talked fast. She said she's not a public speaker, but I don't know, maybe, I think maybe she is. So uh, it, was, it was really good if you didn't hear that. But one thing that she said last week um, when, she was, when she was speaking, it hit me. Um, she said that his presence was more real in the valley than on the mountaintop when she recognized that the way was through, not out. So his presence was more real in the valley for Rebecca than on the mountaintop when she realized that the way was through the valley, not out. So many times we pray that God would rescue us out of the valley. Oh God, I'm off the mountain. I'm in the valley. There's the shadow of death. Save me. And God's like, keep walking. But there's another mountain, but you're going to have to keep moving forward to get to the next mountain. Don't just sit in the valley praying that God will put you in the mountain. Learn from it. Grow through it. Keep walking. The way is through, not out. We all like mountaintops, right? I think we could all agree we like success. No matter what it is that you're you're trying to do, you probably like success. I do. Love it. We all like mountaintops and success, but... You know what, um, Bill Gates said, success is a lousy teacher. If you're always on the top, you're not learning too much. We all want success, but what are you going to do with it when you get it? Ever thought about that? Why won't God give me what I'm praying for? Because you can't handle it. And I know we all think we can handle it. right? Everybody thinks the easy one to pick on would be money. Everybody thinks they could be a millionaire and do the right thing with the money. But the reality is most of the people sitting in this room couldn't handle it. If I gave you a million bucks, you would destroy yourself and others. We'll get back to the notes. <laughs> What are you going to do with it when you get it? Because everybody's sitting there thinking, well, I could. He's talking to the other 90% of the people in this room, but I know I could. But everybody in the room's thinking they could. What are you going to do with it when you get it? Look at Exodus 23, verse 29. It's the children of Israel, um, and they had come out of slavery, right? And God was giving them the promised land, and, and look right here. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee but little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. So God says to him, hey, I'm giving you this land. You're going to walk in this land. You're going to own this land. You're going to take it over. Like, I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going to give it to you all at once. In fact, I'm not even going to give it to you all this year. Why? Because you can't handle it. He said, you're going to have to walk in obedience and increase and grow and have some more kids and train them up and get where you can handle what I've promised you before. I'm just going to give it to you. And then he explains to him Why? Because it would be overgrown with weeds. Wild animals would move in. You can't even inhabit the land that I'm trying to give you. It's a lot bigger than what you think. You're not ready for it. See, God said, I'm going to give it to you. I gave you the vision. I gave you that dream. But you can't handle it yet. If I put all the weight on you right now, it would crush you. You ever seen a dog chasing a car? I'm sure you probably have. There's one, in fact, there's this real annoying dog that lives in this house right here behind the church. And uh, I guess here a couple months ago, I was a little, I didn't realize I was till after it happened, but um, Titus had told me that that thing was chasing him, biting him when he was trying to ride a bicycle, like biting his feet. And I guess I took up a fence for my son didn't even realize it. I ride by and think, "Stupid dog! I hate that dog." And I'm like, "Why? I like animals. I wonder why I hate that dog." <laughs> it was because he was mean to my son. I didn't realize that till later. But I was going down to the lodge one day, and I came back up, and here came that dumb dog running out, and he was trying with everything in him to bite my truck tire. And I swerve over like to try to not hit the dog, and I'm like, "Annoying thing! He's like, uh, he wants." So I just slammed on my brakes, put it in park, opened up my truck door, jumped out, and said, Well, that poor dog about had a heart attack. It scared him bad, like I thought for a second he might die. You know why? That thing that he was chasing, he wasn't even able to operate it, it was bigger than what he could handle. Everything in him wanted it. I want that truck. I'm going to stop that truck. I'm But guess what? When he finally caught up with it, he didn't know what in the world to do with it. It scared him senseless. He ran back home with his tail between his legs. Because I'm so intimidating. Little dog. But how many times in our lives are we like that? We're chasing after things and we're chasing after Careers and giftings and ministries and God, and we're chasing after these things that we've not prepared ourselves to handle. That dog, he he didn't even have a driver's license and he wanted my truck. I don't want to be like that, chasing after things that I can't handle and crying out, God, I've been praying for 10 years for that. Why didn't you give it to me? And God's like, it would have crushed you. You weren't mature enough to handle it. Why is it taking so long? I thought we were going to have it by last year. You're not ready. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep pushing through. I found this story in the Old Testament about a king. um, King Nebuchadnezzar. And you've probably heard some stories about old King Nebuchadnezzar. But this one, I don't know how I've missed this. I'm sure I've read about it before, but... Um, He got so full of himself and had so much pride and thought that he didn't need anybody else and his head swelled up real big and he just thought that he had built this kingdom and he didn't need God or anything. And so God punished him. You know how God punished him? You know what his punishment was? He had to be a vegetarian for seven years. I'm serious. It's what the Bible says. It was a punishment. He had to eat grass for seven years. Let me show it to you. Look at Daniel 4, 28. I was so happy to find this story. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Just 12 months later, he was walking on the balcony of the royal palace in Babylon and boasted, Look at this Babylon the Great. And I built it by myself. Did he? No. No. He didn't build the kingdom of Babylon by himself. There's no way. Warning. When you start feeling like you did it all yourself and you don't need anybody else, you're in a dangerous place. A royal palace adequate to display my honor and glory. The words were no sooner out of his mouth than a voice out of heaven spoke. This is the verdict on you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your kingdom is taken from you, and you will be driven out of human company and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. The sentence is for seven seasons. Enough time to learn that the high God rules human kingdoms and puts whoever he wishes in charge. It happened at once. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out of human company and he ate grass like an ox for seven years. And he was soaked in heaven's dew and his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle. I guess from only eating grass, he probably started losing hair and then it started turning into dreadlocks, started looking like eagle's feathers. And his nails like the claws of a hawk. Turned into this weird, ugly looking mountain man, vegetarian. So, y'all, there it is in the Bible. Keep eating meat. (laughs) At the end of seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, you remember, Nebuchadnezzar wrote this book. He's writing this about himself. I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to heaven. Well, he changed his focus. I was giving my mind back, and I blessed the high God, the high God, thanking and glorifying God who lives forever. No matter how high you get, remember that God is higher. You're not going to outgrow God. You're not going to get bigger than God. there was this time that uh, Jesus was traveling around with the disciples and you can go read it in the gospels but um, remember where Jesus it starts out they were on this little journey and he asked uh, the disciples who do men say that I am And they were answering all kind of random stuff and then Peter says thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus is like yes ding 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 Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, it's like a man, not a priest, not a prophet, heard from God. And Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church on that, on this rock, on the fact that men can hear from heaven. So that was a high moment for old Peter. Peter had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. That was a pretty high moment. So then Jesus He starts telling them about his death, that he's going to the cross, and he tells them in great detail, like, I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be killed. And this is the third time that Jesus has told them that he was going to die, but this time he went into even more detail than ever before and kind of laid it out pretty plain, like, this is what's going to happen. Which was a major disappointment to all of the disciples, because that's not what they expected to happen. They expected their Messiah with the supernatural powers and they knew he had the powers because he's been doing miracles. So they thought it was going to be a political takeover, right? They thought they were going to overthrow Rome and they were going to be great and sit on his right hand and his left hand and that Jesus was going to be the superhero that would save us all. And he was, but they had it wrong how it would happen. Like they thought it was going to happen a different way. So they were really disappointed. They were in a really bad low. So much so that Peter, after coming off this great high, he hears Jesus give this little message about what's going to happen. And it's also the same time where Jesus said, like, if you want to follow me, now take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That was all in that same little message. Good message, Jesus. And punched all the disciples in the mouth. And so Jesus gives them that message and Peter rebukes Jesus. Takes Jesus aside and says, "You're wrong. That's not how it's going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. You're wrong. That you know, I don't agree with that message. You're a good preacher and all, Jesus, and you're our Messiah, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm about to straighten you out." Jesus You don't rebuke Jesus. So Jesus looks at him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Just a few verses before he was on a high and Jesus said, That's what I'm going to build my church on. You're the first person recorded that we have. Like you heard from God, a regular man heard from God. He goes from this mountaintop to a get behind me, Satan. God. That was like the worst insult he could have got. Satan, I gave him everything for you. I followed you. I gave him my shimmer. You know? Low moment, real fast. And so the disciples were all just kind of in a funk. You know how people just get down and depressed and disappointed, and there's a lot of unmet expectations that were going on. And in Mark 9, verse 2, this is what happens right after that. So they're in a the low. How long were they in the low? Verse 2, after six days. See, we don't even hear anything else in Scripture. For six days, they walked around like, what the heck was that about? Why don't Jesus is going to die. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he led them up a high mountain, his inner circle. His group, the three that were the closest to him. And I want to uh, point out real fast that as Jesus' public ministry grew and he got more and more famous and more and more popular and he did more and more miracles and he got closer and closer to the end, he took more and more time for his close relationships to get apart and to separate himself to pray to God, but also to take Peter, James, and John more and more as time went on toward the end when you succeed and when you start to experience greatness it won't be on your own you should need your relationships more and more so Jesus takes them from this low and up, leads them up to this high mountain where they were all alone and there he was transfigured before them His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Thank you for that detail, Mark. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Elijah and Moses were probably, arguably, the two most famous people in Jewish history. Moses represents the law Elijah was the most famous, powerful, greatest prophet that they had had, represents the prophets or the prophecy. Like these were the two most famous people and there they are on top of the mountain. Jesus is transfigured. He changes his clothes and and Mark wasn't even there. Remember, Mark is writing down Peter's account. So this is Peter's account of what happened and he's like, yeah, man, all right, write this down. Like everybody else wrote their own. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the Gospels, but, but Peter couldn't write his own, so he got Mark to write it for him. So keep in mind that this is what Peter's telling Mark to write down. Yeah, I mean, his clothes turned white. It was whiter than your mama can bleach it. Write that down. Make sure that gets in there. All right. And there was Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, you hey, make sure you get this part. So here's what I said. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Whew, good thing we were here. It wasn't an accident. We happened to run into old Moses and Elijah. Man, Hey, Master, good thing we came up here. He brought you there. This happened on purpose. It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. did not know what to say. They were so frightened. I think that part's kind of funny because when you're thinking about like when he was telling Mark to write it down and Mark said, dude, that was a dumb idea. Why'd you tell him we're going to build three shelters up here on top of the mountain? He said, mean, I didn't know what to say. I was scared. Mark said, all right. He did not know what to say. He was frightened. Then a cloud appeared, and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love, or whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. It's always only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So Jesus transfigures. His whole appearance changes. He's glowing like a shining light. His clothes even turn white. Um, Luke records it. and says that it looked like a bolt of lightning. This bright, brilliant flash. For the first time, it's like he takes off the cloak of humanity and they see him in all of his glory for who he really is. It's the first time he takes off humanity and they see God. All, remember, Jesus was all God and all man. And, and they see the glory. They see him for who he really is. And, and they really didn't know what to say. But aren't we like Peter sometimes? Wow. Oh, my God. Whoa, look, what, what should we do? We could, we could build shelters. Hey, Master, it's good that we're here. What can I do? What do I need to do? I'm going to do something. i got to do something. We experience God's glory. We encounter God. And then all of a sudden we start trying to think of what we can do. God just wants us to be with Him. To experience Him. It's not about what we can do. It's not about building houses and shelters on the mountaintop and trying to capture this moment and live here forever and we'll never go down again. That wasn't the plan. We don't live on the mountaintop. In fact, it would defeat our purpose. If we lived on the mountaintop with the Son of God and two dead people, a couple of our buddies, that wasn't the plan. But we immediately start trying to figure out what what we can do remember the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to the house and and Martha was busy doing, doing, doing cooking and cleaning and and Mary went and sat at Jesus' feet and just worshiped Him and listened to what He had to say and Martha got mad and offended and Jesus said, hey, Mary's chosen the better part. She just chose to come and, and be with me. We try to capture a moment and just live or stay there. All right, have you ever been to like a summer camp or we just came back from Jesus Jam or Trace Diaz or whatever it is. Like a good awesome Christian retreat. And and if you have, you know that feeling. Like on that last day when you're about to have to go home and you got this sinking feeling like, oh no, we don't don't come down off of this this spiritual high place because all my friends here aren't bad influences. I have to go back to an abusive home or I have to go back to my job Monday morning or I have to come down off of this mountain and and I don't know if I can do it. I've experienced the glory of God. I don't want to go down. I don't want to go back. This is what Peter was doing. But life is full. Of highs and lows. It's on the mountaintop where we encounter God's glory, and it's in the valley where we share it with the crowd. The valley is like the gym, it's where we get strong, where we train. The the valley is where fruit is grown. You don't see a whole lot of big farms on the top of the mountains, it's down in the valley. When we learn to see God in our disappointment is when we really start to trust Him. Those are the times we really start to trust Him. They were disappointed. Where else do we see somebody glowing from God's glory? Exodus 33. Moses, wait, Moses, he was here this time too. Back in Exodus 33, when he was leading all the children of Israel, he went up on the mountain on Mount Sinai. And he said, God, show me your face. God, I want to see you. And God tells him, I'm going to take you and hide you in between the rocks. And I'm going to cover your face with my hand because if you see me, you'll die. You can't handle it. Right? But as I walked by, I'll move my hand and I'll let you see my backside. And so that's what happened, right? And it's the scripture tells us that Moses was glowing so bright. His face was shining so bright when he came down off the mountain, they had to put a veil over his face because it was like, ah, it's hurting my eyes and they didn't have sunglasses back then. So they put a veil over his face. And everybody wanted to know what he had to say. Everybody was listening to him because he disappeared for 40 days and then he came back glowing. I'd probably want to know what he said too. What, What happened up there, dude? Keep in mind, this was the second time he went up. The first time he went up, God gave him the Ten Commandments. He came back down and they were all dancing around the fire, worshiping a golden calf that they made. And he got so mad, he broke the Ten Commandments that God just gave him. Had a little anger problem. It tells us that he was glowing, that his face was shining so bright that they had to put a veil over it. And everybody wanted to hear what he said, had to say. I'd say that first time he came down and he busted the Ten Commandments, that was a pretty low moment. Wouldn't you? I mean, he broke the Ten Commandments. He was upset with all of his people. They were worshiping a cow. Then they lied to him and said, Hey, we threw our gold in the fire, and the cow walked out. We were like, Dang. So we started worshiping it. And he's like, That's a lie. I'm not stupid. And he slammed the tablets on the ground and broke them. That was a low moment for the leader of God's people. And now here he is back in this high moment. You know, a couple weeks ago, I got a pretty bad sunburn at Titus and Sal's tennis match. We were out there all day. And most of y'all already know about all about the tennis match. Because as soon as I showed up here, guess what? You can look at me and see that I was toasted. So everybody starts asking questions. Why do you look different? Where have you been? Did you go to the beach? You've been working outside a lot. Man, oh, dude, you're burnt. What happened? And you know what that did? It gave me an opportunity to tell every single person I saw about Titus and Sal's tennis match and the story of what happened to me that day on that mountain. That's the purpose when we encounter God's glory. Like we should look different. And when we walk into work and into somewhere, people should look and say, Hey, what's what's up with you? Where have you been? Something looks different. We should have a sunburn. I was going to do a dorky little thing about a S-O-N burn, but we'll leave that alone because it's not it's kind of cheesy you should look different after spending time in his presence in his glory why because when you come down off the mountain everybody's going to ask and it gives you an opportunity to tell the story of what God did and what God's doing and that gives you the strength to make it through the valley and not only you but it gives other people the strength to make it through the valley Moses was reflecting the light off of God. Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. So Jesus was the source, the light. Moses was just a reflection of God's glory. And now he gets to see God's face. Remember last week, uh, no, not last week, Easter. I told you all that Moses died not getting to walk into the promise. But then God brought him up on this mountain and, and he got to step foot into the promised land. Well, not only that, he gets to see God face to face. It's what he asked God for back in Exodus. And God brings him back and he gets to look into Jesus' eyes, face to face, standing in the promised land. See, he thought that was over. He thought, like, those dreams are over. I want to walk in the promised land. I want to see God face to face. He got to do both of them. He's standing there looking Jesus in the face. See, Moses had some amazing highs. And some really low moments, too. He had an anger problem that I mentioned a few minutes ago and it ended up costing him we see it follow him throughout his life he was the Hebrew boy raised by the Egyptians and went out and you know the first time we see it was when uh, the Egyptians were beating a Hebrew man and he killed the Egyptian murdered him killed him that's a low for somebody chosen by God And God still chooses him. And that one I mentioned where he broke the Ten Commandments, an act of anger. There's another time where God says, hey, I want you to go and speak to this rock. And I'm going to make water come out of it and give everybody something to drink. And so he goes out there and he gets mad because all the people are complaining and frustrating. And he's mad because they don't have the water they need. And they're, they're complaining. And so instead of doing what God said, he takes a stick and starts beating the rock. Yeah, and he's like yells at the people. And God still lets the water come out, but God said, hey, you're not going to walk into the promised land. Whew, that's a low moment. You ever messed up? And then when you realize, dang it, I messed up big, and it's already, it's, it's costing you. You already feel the weight of it. Imagine Moses. You're not going to get to walk in the promised land because you won't get this under control. That was a low moment. And he tasted death without seeing a lot of the promises. He didn't get to walk into the land. Now, Elijah that was there, he didn't taste death. He never even died. Remember, he rode up in a chariot of fire. But Moses, he felt the sting of death, disappointment, defeat not knowing if his people ever made it in. And God brought him onto Mount Hermon that day, which is in the promised land. And he stood there and he looked into the eyes of God and he knew that the story wasn't over. Knew you played a part You may have died disappointed, but I wasn't finished yet. So we think death is the end. Where does it say that death is the end? God's got a much bigger story than your lifespan. Much bigger. So you got Moses and Elijah. We'll wrap this up. One represents the law. One represents the prophecies. The law and the prophecies or the law and the prophets are summed up in one name we see in scripture and that name is Jesus. So you got Moses the law and you got Elijah that represents all the prophecies and they're all summed up in one name which is Jesus standing there right in front of them and these three are going to have a conversation Man, I wish I knew what they were talking about. Like, and I've thought that before. But good news. Dr. Luke gives us a little bit of insight on what they were talking about. Two verses. Luke tells us. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem they were talking to Jesus about the plan about the cross about how he was about to come into Jerusalem and when I start thinking about that I, I start thinking about like you got Moses standing over there that represents the law and they're there coaching Jesus They're they're coaching him up for what's about to happen. You think about Moses like, oh Jesus, remember, don't steal. You can't sin or it's going to mess this whole thing up. You've got to follow the law to a T. Don't don't do anything bad like, Jesus, I know they're going to make you mad, but don't kill anybody. Trust me, I did that. It's not going to work out. You can't kill them. I know you have the power. I know you have the strength. I know you can call down angels, but... You can't kill them. Remember, you got to follow the law. And Jesus is like, yeah, I got it. Okay, I got it. Don't let anger rob you like it did me. And remember, remember Jesus, honor your father and mother. Picture Jesus, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. I mean, even if I have to take care of that one from the cross, I'll make sure I honor mom. Remember he said from the cross, hey, John, your mom. Hey, mom, John. Okay, I, I got it. I remember. And then you got Elijah on the other side who's worried about all the prophecies being fulfilled because Jesus had to fulfill all of these prophecies that were prophesied for thousands of years before. So, so you got Elijah on the other side saying, and, and Jesus, remember, remember, you must fulfill the prophecies. They're going to whip you with a cat of nine tails, 39 times. It's got to happen, though, because Isaiah said it 700 years ago. But he said, by your stripes, everyone will be healed. But you got to do it. And and remember when you come into Jerusalem, Zechariah said that you would be riding on a colt so don't forget to borrow a donkey before you and the boys go into town next week. Because you gotta, you got to ride the colt. Jesus said, yeah, I got it. Okay. All right. I remember. And they're going to want you to speak. They're going to want you to stick up for yourself. They're going to taunt you and try to get you to speak. But Scripture says, like a lamb before the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. was talking about you you can't don't open your mouth you gotta do this they were coaching him up they were telling him what was coming the law and the prophecies and, and you're gonna fulfill it all and you're gonna change everything you're gonna make a way for everybody that's ever lived and everybody that will ever live. You're you're the only one. You're our only hope. You got this, Jesus. Jesus said, I got it. It says when Peter, James, and John looked up, it was only Jesus. It's all about him. This whole book it's all about Him it all points back to Him and the best thing that you can do for Jesus is just be with Jesus it's to be in relationship we get so caught up in doing I gotta do, do, do you're a human being not a human doing Pastor Bruce says that your doing must come out of your being Knowing who you are. You're a child of God. And from spending time in his presence and his glory, then you do out of that. You give out of that place. You you minister out of the overflow. And if you're giving and doing to try to find your worth or your identity, it's only going to last so long you're going to burn out. The best thing you can do for Jesus is just be with Jesus. I love my kids because they do great things for me. It's not true. I love my kids because they're my kids. I stick up for my kids and protect my kids and provide for my kids. And do they do things that disappoint me? Yeah. Malachi does a lot. (laughs) Yeah, they do things that disappoint me. Guess what? I still love them. Still love them just as much as I did before they disappointed me. Why? Because they're my kids. That's how God feels about you. So God said, this is my son, whom I have chosen This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Where have we heard that before? Jesus' baptism. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus and the dove came down symbolizing the Holy Spirit and they heard that booming voice from heaven that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a father giving identity to his son. And it's awesome that on this mountaintop that Jesus came and said, this is my son and I'm proud of him and he's about to walk out the call and he's getting coached up for the last little bit and he's done all these miracles and now he's brilliantly shining and in the glory of God. That's awesome that God gives identity on the mountaintop. But it wouldn't be very comforting if I didn't tell you that he gives identity in the low places too where Jesus Jesus got baptized in the Jordan River. If you go do a little bit of research on it, where Jesus was baptized was only a few miles north of the Dead Sea. Just upstream from the Dead Sea, the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is so salty that nothing can grow there. There's no plants or animals or anything. And I found this really interesting. Mount Hermon where the Mount of Transfiguration took place um, is the highest peak in Israel. It was the highest point in Israel. And the Dead Sea's surface is 1,412 feet below sea level, making its shores the lowest land-based elevation on earth. And not only the lowest spot in Israel is the lowest place on earth. Is where Jesus got baptized. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't saved anybody yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. He was in the lowest place on earth. And God said, "This is my son, and whom I'm well pleased." so at the lowest place on earth before he had done anything he heard his dad's voice I have a feeling that if we played that game high low I don't know if you ever played that but I know the teenagers have done it some and we've done it at our house some where you go around and you tell a hi you can do it for the day or but if I did for your whole life Give me your highs and your lows. I bet some of y'all have some pretty low lows. And I'm sure you got some highs too. But I bet you got some low lows. But I want you to know that he was with you. And if you can hear his voice, he'll give you peace, even in the lows. At Jesus Jam last week, there was a, uh, A speaker Sunday morning his name is Michael Utterback and um, he's been in ministry in Israel for over 30 years and uh, he was speaking to us and Sky was sitting beside me and uh, Michael was going through this thing and he was talking about the blessing and he went over to this girl and he was talking about how God looks at us and make his face shine upon you, his countenance and he asked this teenage girl that he did not know to stand up and he He was showing us what God is saying to us through that blessing and he put his hands on that girl's face and he was talking just like I am in the microphone. And when he put his hands on that girl's face, he began to speak to her. Well, if you're sensitive to the spirit, you could tell that God really started moving. And God started speaking through Michael to that girl. And the girl started tearing up. This guy was sitting beside me and he said, Did God just take over his body? I said, yeah, God lives in us and he speaks through us. You know that? And and he said something along the lines like, uh, it was like he was talking and then it switched and it was God. To me, if nothing else happened in that service, if nothing else happened on that whole trip, it's worth it to me for Sky to learn how to how to hear God's voice. How to determine, wait a second, God just started talking. Because if you can learn how to hear his voice, you place value on the voice, it doesn't matter how low you go, it doesn't matter how high you get, you know who you are, and you know that you are found in him. Romans 8, where it's telling us uh, that neither height nor depth, no matter how high, no matter how low, nothing can separate you from your Father's love. If you could hear God's voice right now, He'd say, This is my Son. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for sending your Son to be an example to us God thank you for the unspoken sermons like the story that we read today and we looked at that wasn't a sermon that Jesus stood up and preached it was was just life that he lived and, and it speaks loud God thank you that you value each one of us and you call us your sons and your daughters thank you that you have purpose for each one of us God forgive us for the times that we make it about ourselves and what we can do and and we miss the moments with you in your glory and in your presence. God help us to quiet the distractions in our lives so that we can hear your voice because that's the most important thing of all. We love you. Thanks for grace and mercy. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.